Well, if you can take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter chapter 1, that's the portion that Gary read to us, and uh, we're going to be doing something slightly different this morning. We're not going to be working our way through that portion um, line by line as we normally would. Um, It is the introduction to the book. We did cover it um, last year when we started our series in Revelation with the seven letters to the seven churches, Um, but we will certainly be reading part of it and uh, making reference uh, to that uh, as we work our way through the through the message, and please also have that um, diagram uh, available as well in a few minutes for us to to consider that together. So, give or take, <clears throat> excuse me, give or take um, a few years when I wasn't quite sure if I was saved or not. I've been a Christian for about 30 years, and uh, for 15 of those years, I attended a Bible-believing church in Pretoria where the Word of God was faithfully expounded twice on a Sunday, where the preacher's pattern was to work through the Scriptures book by book and chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And then for the last 15 years or so, I have been preparing for and in full-time pastoral ministry, and and I've sought to do the same, to to faithfully expound the Word of God, working through it book by book, uh, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse. Now, I'm telling you this because... In those 30 years of being a Christian, I have never heard a sermon series in the book of Revelation. I've read through the book multiple times. Uh, I've heard sermons on select portions. Uh, I have preached through the seven letters to the seven churches, but I've never sat under the ministry of God's Word from the beginning to the end of Revelation. Now, maybe your experience is somewhat similar And why is that? Well, for the most part in Christianity today, the book of Revelation is believed to be so mysterious, uh, so confusing, so scary, so divisive, that most Christians give it very little, if any, attention in their personal study of the Word of God. And speaking as a pastor, most pastors are terrified to tackle this book Uh, either for the fear of of leading their people astray or perhaps leading the church into such confusion and division that some of the plagues and the battles described in this book would uh, appear to be a description of the local church. Now, I say for the most part that this book is largely or mostly neglected, but there are some in Christianity who are on the other end of the spectrum who think that Revelation is the only book in the Bible. And they devote all their time to to reading it and studying it and watching YouTube videos about it. And the majority of the focus uh, of that group of people is usually to try and decode uh, the images and the symbols and the, the numerology, the numbers and the mysteries and its timeline so as to predict with incredible detail the events of world history, predominantly Western world history, in order to make predictions about the future. Now, obviously, I am exaggerating to some degree. There's a spectrum, uh, but I think it is a fairly accurate general description of the landscape of people's attitudes towards uh, the book of Revelation. The net result, however, uh, of this landscape is that we, are, as God's people, are stunted in our spiritual growth, either by ignoring Revelation 
or by assigning it an inordinate amount of focus, which is then disconnected from the rest of the Word of God. But I think the end result is the same. Our, our spiritual growth and our maturity and our discernment and our ability to live as ambassadors of Jesus Christ in this world is severely uh, stunted or affected. And so I've been really challenged by the Lord over the last few months uh, since we completed the, the series in, in the seven letters to the seven churches because for the reasons that I've mentioned, I had not planned to continue the series uh, from chapter four to the end, but I have grown in my conviction that this is just as much a part of God's word as any other, uh, and it is my duty to you as the Lord's people here at Honeyridge uh, to continue in studying this very special and very important part uh, of God's word. And and so as particularly over the last two months as I've been spending my time devotionally in, uh, in Revelation, I have uh, grown in much excitement and anticipation to, to, to take this journey with you. And, and my prayer is that our vision of the triune God that we serve, Father, Son, and Spirit, will be so enlarged that we will become so enthralled with Jesus Christ as our precious Savior and Sovereign King that this book will transform our perspective on this world and on our great salvation in such a personal and practical way that it literally will change every aspect of our lives as Christians and as a church. It should change our worship of God. It should change our commitment to holiness. It should change our witness about Jesus to the lost around us. It should increase our hope and our perseverance through suffering. It should give us a greater appreciation for God's sovereignty. It should give us a godly biblical perspective on evil in this world. It should uh, enhance our understanding of God's holiness and his justice. It should increase, greatly increase our anticipation of the new heavens and the new earth and our hope of glory. And so I pray that it will change us as we come to see what Jesus purposed for this book of Revelation. Because in, in a nutshell, in a nutshell, the whole book of Revelation is about Jesus. This is is this Jesus wins and so do we if we are found to be united to him by faith I have about 12 commentaries on the book of Revelation in my study and uh, let me just list some of the titles of these books the lamb is all the glory the lamb wins the all-conquering lamb the triumph of the lamb hope you're getting the picture the book of Revelation is all about Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who wages war against a dragon called Satan and against his allies. There's an evil beast of worldly powers and governments who attack and persecute the children of God. There's another beast of false prophecy and false religion who leads the world to destruction through deception and an empty philosophy. 
And then there's a third ally that he wars against, the, the great city of Babylon, who is the prostitute of worldliness and, and the pleasures of this world, who intoxicates and enslaves the people of this earth with all her abominations. These are the enemies of the Lamb who wage war against him and against his people. And here's the spoiler alert. The Lamb wins. The Lamb is all the glory. The Lamb conquers along with all of those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. But for those who are not sealed by the Lamb, for those who bear the mark of the beast, the mark of unbelief in the Lamb as, as Savior, this book is a terrible book of judgment. It's a book of the outpouring of, of God's holy wrath as we considered something of that last week against all sin and, and all injustice and all unbelief and all unrepentance. It's a book which describes the terrible end which faces the dragon and all his allies and the terrible end which faces those who belong to him. Because in the end, the lamb wins. The lamb gets all the glory. And so I hope you are, are looking forward to this series that we will embark on. And, and yet before we can really get stuck into the text of Revelation, and that's why today is going to be slightly different, and, and I apologize up front for, for that in, in the sense that we're not going to do a normal sermon working our way through the, the text before us. The nature of the book of Revelation is such that we need to spend our time today to, to lay down an interpretive framework for Revelation. Kind of like a map um, that's going to guide us as we navigate our way through the book in the months ahead. And, and so um, I'm asking that as you uh, listen today, that you just be patient with me, um, but it is important for us to lay down this foundation for our study uh, in the months ahead. And so I do realize, I realize right up front this morning that there will be some of you um, who disagree with me before you even came in here today, uh, some of you who are going to see what I present today and will disagree with what I present, and I want you to know that you certainly do not need to agree with every detail of, of what I'm going to present to you today or in the months ahead, but I do need to ask you for your patience. I need to ask you to have a genuine willingness to, to search the scriptures as we considered back in December as the Bereans did to, to go home and to search the scriptures to see if what I'm presenting aligns with the, the rest of God's word and with the overall big picture storyline of the Bible. We know well, hopefully in this church you know well, that the whole Bible is about Jesus. It's all about pointing us to Jesus for salvation, for eternal life. And so certainly that will be the, the first guiding principle that we must bring with us as we come to the book of Revelation. It is a book that is all about Jesus. But I also realize that especially for those of you who perhaps base your views or have based your views on Revelation mainly from the, the fairly modern views which are being put forward in most of the, the videos that you will find in the book of Revelation on YouTube, that what I present today will definitely not align with the views of Hal Lindsey or the Left Behind series of books and movies from Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins. It will not align 
with the many hundreds of elaborate diagrams of detailed timelines that you will find uh, scattered all over the internet. Diagrams which claim to tell you the exact sequence of events of unfolding history and which will usually try and link the specific events in our current Western uh, history at the moment with the details in the book of Revelation. So I'm asking you, if you are in that camp, that you will hear me out, um, and hopefully, even if you do disagree, uh, that you will come to behold wonderful things in God's Word. So let me start this morning. Uh, I've got too many gadgets up here today. Um, I'm going to start this morning um, to, to explain that there are five main views by which Christians can be divided into regarding the interpretation of the book of Revelation. And all five views seek to define how and when the events that are described in this book um, are fulfilled. And so the first interpretation uh, that is being accepted in the church over church history is what's called the preterist view, um, which argues that the book of Revelation is mainly or even entirely fulfilled in the first century AD, um, specifically before AD 70 with the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Now one of the main challenges with this view um, is the fact that most scholars would agree that the book of Revelation was written around AD 95, long after the fall of Jerusalem. And so there's some serious problems there with regards to dating. Um, but if this view is correct, then we have another problem, which is that the book of Revelation has absolutely no value or relevance to you and me as Christians throughout the history of the church, other than it being a historical record of what took place um, before AD 70. Then there's another view called the historicist view, uh, which sees the book of Revelation as a symbolic, yet chronological unfolding of the, the account of world history the history of the church from the first coming to the second coming of Christ. And so the historicist would seek to identify the seven churches in uh, chapters two and three symbolically as referring not to seven literal congregations, but to seven stages in world history. And according to the historicist view, uh, according to their calculations, we are currently living in the age of the church of Laodicea, uh, the lukewarm church. And I would certainly not disagree with that, but as we saw when we studied the, the seven letters to the seven churches, we are living in the age of all the churches. There is something of all those churches in us. Uh, this view then tries to link um, specific visions and specific symbols in Revelation to specific periods of world history, and then tries to make predictions uh, regarding what is still yet to come. Right, so that's the second view. The third view uh, is the opposite of the, um, the first view, and it's called the futurist view. Um, and it holds that everything in Revelation, or at least everything from chapter 4 onwards, um, is all about the future. And especially the future, the very short period of the future just prior to the second coming of Christ. Um, this view is most closely associated with dispensational theology and the popular movies and the book series, the, the Left Behind kind of series, the, the secret rapture uh, of, of the church and the thousand-year millennial reign of Jesus on the throne of David. This would largely fall into the futurist camp. 
Um, this view is also usually strongly associated with a very literal reading of the book of Revelation, taking all the symbols, the dragons and the beasts and, and the wars and the signs and the numbers as literal descriptions of events which must take place, literally. And then the fourth view of Revelation is what is called the idealist view, um, which holds that the events described in Revelation are repeated multiple times. There are seven parallel visions or cycles as we work our way through Revelation. And these cycles symbolically describe the experience of the church from the first coming to the second coming of Christ. This approach teaches that Revelation is, is relevant to everyone throughout the history of the church since it deals very generally um, through the, the symbols that are interpreted very generally uh, to be valid for our personal history and experience as the Church of Christ. Uh, the symbols are interpreted very uh, generally to, to give us comfort and encouragement as persecuted Christians throughout the church age. So which one are you? I'm sure if you, as you look at that, um, you might see, well, some parts of what I've said about some view seems to resonate with you and yet at the same time create certain problems. And, and I can't get into all the problems and the challenges which arise from these views today. But I want to put forward that there is a fifth approach um, and that's the one that I'm going to be taking in our studies uh, in this series, which really is a modification of the last one. It's, it's a modification of the idealist approach and it's called the progressive parallel view. Um, and please don't go around speaking to your neighbors and saying, hey, guess what? I'm a progressive parallelist. Um, or I'm a this or a... This is really for us as Christians to try and make sense of, of the Word of God. And yet it's important that we do. Because if we don't pick a framework and be consistent with our framework, we are going to get ourselves into all kinds of trouble working our way through the book of Revelation. But the progressive parallel view holds, like the idealist views, that history revelation is repeated before us in seven parallel visions or cycles, and each one symbolically describes the entire experience of the church between the first and the second coming of Christ. The difference with, with the approach that I will take is that this parallel, a progressive parallel approach also teaches that Revelation is, is relevant for all of us throughout church history because it is rooted historically in the, the principles and the symbols that were relevant to the early church. We do not disconnect the book of Revelation from its original historic context. And yet at the same time, as much as it is general for the church age between the first and the second coming of Christ, there certainly is um, significant um, information given to us which points us forward to the second coming of Christ and the events that will take place at his coming. And so uh, as we look at this book, we will see um, that throughout the church age, the book of Revelation is warning and predicting and anticipating the great and the awesome day of the Lord's return and his judgment of, of evil. I'm sorry if that all seems rather technical, um, and, and it is, but it's important that you understand that there actually are these five different views which different Christians hold to and have held to over the history of the church. And, and if you strongly hold to one or another, that's okay. 
This is certainly not something which needs to cause division in the church, but I do want you to understand that the framework which, which I believe most honestly handles the, both the text of Revelation, as we're going to see it in the weeks ahead, as well as the view which is most consistent with what the rest of the scripture says about the second coming and the end of the world is this progressive parallel view which I'm going to be taking as our framework of interpretation throughout the series. And so let me answer a question which I'm sure some of you must have at this point, which is Clinton. What if I disagree with your interpretation? Will that mean that I'm going to disagree with every sermon over the next few months and should I rather find another church? And so my first appeal would be to you to please just stay. Just stay and, and give me a chance to explain along the way why what I believe the book of Revelation teaches. This is God's word and, and it's part of our growth and our maturity and our spiritual discernment, not only to learn what Pastor Clinton says about this, but for you to know that there are other Christians who's, who believe things that are different perhaps to what you believe. And so even if you end up after this series, disagreeing with, with my conclusions here, which are not mine, I'm standing in a certain tradition of, of church history here. Um, even if you disagree, this will make you a better Christian. It will make you a more patient and understanding Christian. And you may even learn some helpful and beneficial things along the way. But secondly, I want to say that irrespective of your view on Revelation, and here I need to be categorical. Every view that you take of Revelation must major on the fact that Revelation is all about Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ as the conquering lamb, that the storyline of history comes to its, its culmination in this great victory battle of Jesus over Satan, where all the enemies of God will be ultimately destroyed. And so even if you disagree with me on some of the details along the way or you disagree with me on, on the interpretation of some of the symbols um, or the strange pictures or even if you disagree with me regarding some of the timing of these events, I pray, I hope that every Sunday we will end rejoicing together in the big picture, which is that the Lamb wins. The Lamb is all the glory. Now, because this has perhaps been a little bit heavy and technical this morning, I want to try and show you the ground that we're going to cover um, over the weeks ahead by means of a diagram, which you should all have a copy of. Um, please today, don't worry about the details. Um, please don't come and grab me in the foyer afterwards and say, you put this over there, but it should be over there. Um, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, but what I want to do today is, is I, I want to just kind of paint the big picture. I want to give you the map um, in terms of the road that we're going to be walking. And, and I want to be able to show you in broad brush strokes what each section of the book of Revelation is describing. And so please keep the picture in your Bible and bring it with you every Sunday. Can I also ask that you bring your Bibles with you to church? If you've got used to looking at the text on the screen, um, yeah, that's helpful you know, when we're leading worship, but when it comes to the preaching of the word, have the scriptures open before you. Have a pencil, have a notebook, make notes, underline, put the cross-references there. This is particularly important as we work our way through Revelation. 
But before we look at the, the diagram, I want to show you another picture which I hope will, will help to just kind of illustrate um, what I'm talking about. This, this past week I met with, with Pastor Derek Stone um, to chat with him about my approach to Revelation to get some just pastoral wisdom about how to handle uh, this series. And if you know anything about Derek, you will know that he is a gifted artist. Um, and he said something in our discussion which really struck me. He said that Revelation to him was like a very bold, bright, striking piece of modern art. Who would have thought that came out of Derek's mouth? Um, not the crazy kind of modern art um, where you have no idea what the picture is meant to be, but the kind which clearly portrays in the picture that the subject but in a way which kind of just jumps off the canvas and, and it grips your attention, so much so that you cannot help but just stand in front of the painting and, and be amazed and, and gaze at the beauty of how it all comes together. And so Derek, in our discussion, introduced me to, to one of his favorite artists, it's a South African man called Peter Farrow, who paints both wildlife and portraits with these striking colors. Bold lines, thick strokes, and the end result is, is stunning. It's, it's absolutely riveting. And so with this in mind, I want to propose that the, the diagram that you all have before you will present to you over time the whole book of Revelation as a striking picture created from bold and, and bright colors of glimpses into the glories of heaven, thick brush strokes on the canvas of the sweep of history, the incredible contrast between the symbols of, of light and darkness and good and evil and each layer of color and texture that, that John paints on this canvas of revelation gives us a different perspective, a unique insight into the sovereign God of history, into the, the battle which is raging in the spiritual dimension and then the ultimate victory as we stand back we will observe the ultimate victory that it has been won, and yet it will still be won uh, in the course of history uh, as Jesus brings to an end his story, his story of creation and redemption and judgment and ultimate glory. And so here we have uh, on the screen, I'm going to put up one of Peter Farrow's artworks called Tandi. All right, there you have it. Um, Actually, you don't have it yet. Um, it's just one layer. It's just one layer of color. But if you have some imagination, you may already be able to see where the artist is going. Maybe you can kind of see an eye. Maybe you can see the beginning of a nose, and maybe you can see some lips. Maybe. But then as his brush is dipped into a different set of color, so the picture takes on more shape. It starts to become clearer and clearer, but it's still far from finished. And so he adds more color, some to just fill in the shadows uh, of the background. And then he adds more other colors, which then jump out at you in the foreground. And, and as each layer is added, the, the fullness of the beauty is beginning to emerge until it is complete. And you stand back and you marvel not so much at the painting which is before you, but really the incredible vision and the skill of the artist who saw this picture in his mind's eye and then brought it to life, layer by layer, color by color, stroke by stroke. So now that you've seen the big picture, 
Now you can go back to any of those previous layers and you will understand exactly how they fit into the painting. And this is what I'm hoping you will see about the book of Revelation as it unfolds before you. Perhaps you read the, the dark sections of the seven trumpets of judgment and you feel confused about what it all means. The key is to connect it to the big picture, to see the final painting and then it all makes sense. Or perhaps you, you get to those bright orange sections in Revelation where the, the seven bowls of wrath are being poured out and, and there's a rider on a white horse whose robes are, are covered in blood and you wonder what it all means. Don't forget that each scene, each symbol is just one layer, one dimension of the big picture. And so as you see it in the context of the big picture, you can understand those symbols the way God intended. See, if you lose sight of the big picture in Revelation, that the lamb wins, that the lamb is all the glory, then Revelation does indeed become a very confusing book. It's a book which misses the point for which Jesus gave it in the first place, why he told John to, to write it down so that it could be read to the seven churches, so that God's people could be blessed. God wanted his people then and us now to be encouraged to persevere to the end because Jesus is reigning on the throne. And all of history is headed to this ultimate glory and victory and we who belong to him will reign with him for all eternity. And so just as any artist develops his masterpiece, uh, as he puts the, the layers of oil paint color by color, layer by layer, and texture and depth starts to take shape, so the book of Revelation I would propose today is made up of seven parallel visions, and each vision spans the entire history of the church from the first coming of Christ to the second, and the visions um, cause us to see something of this big picture of God's glory. So let me take you briefly through the diagram that you have in front of you, and so I'm not expecting you to be able to read what's on the screen. Um, I really wanna just do this in broad brushstrokes this morning um, to explain uh, the ground that we're gonna cover. And so some of you have asked me for a timeline. Um, we're doing Revelation, we must have a timeline. Well, there's the timeline. Christ's first coming, Christ's second coming. In between is the, the church age that we are living in, and after Christ's second coming is the new heavens and the new earth. So that's the timeline that we're gonna have before us throughout the book of Revelation. Please keep that in mind. And as we go through it, we will start, and we have already done, um, Christ in the midst of the lampstands. Uh, we did that in Revelation 1 to 3 uh, last year as we looked at the seven letters. And if you wanna just make a note, you will see that the book of Revelation starts in verse five with Jesus' death. He's the, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. Verse six is speaking clearly about us in the church age, and verse seven takes us right to the end of Christ coming on the cloud. So right in the very beginning of Revelation, we have the timeline. Christ's first coming, the church age, and his second coming. And what you will notice, and we didn't make the point when we were working through the seven letters, is that although the seven letters were written to seven churches in history, that's why it's in a little block there, it was written to them in their historical context, we saw that Jesus said to all the churches, I know your works, I know your works. And as we studied that, we saw that Jesus knows us as honey rich. But what we didn't quite connect to is the fact that all the rewards 
that Jesus promised to those churches are rewards that are found in the new heavens and the new earth. Go back and read that this afternoon. To the one who conquers, to the one who conquers, to the one who conquers, I will give, I will give. Look at all the things that he gives and you will find that they are new heavens and new earth blessings that we are look for, looking forward to. So that's the first, um, the first cycle, the first vision that John receives. And then we move on to the second one. And that is the vision of the seven seals that we will go through from Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, through to chapter 8, verse 5. And what we will see is right at the beginning, we have that moment in history when Jesus ascended into heaven. We're going to get a glimpse into the throne room of heaven on the day that Jesus rose, uh, ascended into heaven. And that sets the timeline back at the beginning. And we're going to follow uh, the, the vision in heaven and the unfolding of the seven seals of the scroll. And we're going to end back on Christ's second coming, the judgment day found uh, there in Revelation chapter 6 and chapter 8. We're then going to go on to the third vision. And the third vision will start again back at the beginning of the church age and is going to describe things that are taking place throughout the church age. And it will end again back on the judgment day, the second coming of Christ and his judgment of the wicked. And so you'll see that there is judgment throughout the church age as types and shadows and, and there's an escalation, but it ultimately ends in the great judgment of God um, at the second coming of Christ. And then we're going to move on to the, third, uh, the fourth cycle, the fourth parallel vision, which goes back to the beginning. It goes back to the first coming of Christ as, as the woman gives birth to a child that is Christ, and the dragon pursues the child, but the child is taken up into heaven. And so the dragon then pursues those who are the offspring uh, of the woman. And so we will see the persecution of Satan and his beasts after failing to kill Christ, how they attack the church throughout the church age, and we will end once again with the final judgment in Revelation chapter 14. And so we will move on to the fifth um, the fifth series, the, the fifth um, vision, and we will see the seven bowls of God's wrath being poured out uh, on the wicked in this world, both now and specifically, uh, again, bringing us uh, in cycles through to the end, which is the final judgment of God's wrath at the end of the book. We're then going to come almost to the end, to the fall of Babylon and the beast, and also the beast's allies, uh, and we will see that this is something which also Christ is reigning now over Babylon, over the beasts, and it all leads us ultimately to Revelation 19, which is the final judgment uh, of the, uh, the, the rider on the white horse. And here we are given, apart from the early, um, the first cycle, here we are given the first glimpse in a sense, as it were, into what's expected for us in the new heavens and the new earth with the marriage feast of the Lamb. And then... Uh, we get to the final vision, the, the big picture, uh, as with that picture of Tundi, the one that kind of puts in all the finishing touches, uh, we're going to see the final picture of victory through Christ. Uh, again, looking at this age, the age where Satan is bound, the age where the departed saints who die now, what does Revelation say to you if you die now? Well, we're going to get to that. Actually, we're going to get to that multiple times. Um, but it's going to lead us up to the final judgment of the white throne and then those wonderful chapters 21 to 22 which describe the new heavens and the new earth. So that's the framework, that's the lens through which we are going to tackle the book. Um, so please um, keep the diagram before you and read the book of Revelation. 
in your, in your devotional time. It'll be a great help if you come to the studies each week having, had, having read through the book in advance. Um, but as you read the book, the book, just keep this diagram in mind. So lastly today, there's just one more technical thing I need to do by way of introduction, um, and I hope you're still with me. And this is the question of genre. Um, what is the genre? Um, okay, I'm going to just quickly skip through this just for the sake of time. Oh yeah, I just want to say this. Um, what you'll see is the first three visions all refer to the struggle that is taking place on earth. And we're going to see that we can easily identify with what's going on in the first three visions. The second set of visions, four to seven, give us the spiritual battle that's taking place behind what we see happening here on earth. And so um, there's also that structure to the book of Revelation, starting at the first coming, going through to the second coming, dealing with the age in between. And then um, lastly, just to mention, you'll see on your drawing at the bottom, there's a kind of a shaded line. What we will see is that all of the signs and all of the symbols will kind of intensify through the course of history just prior to uh, the second coming of, of Christ. So what about genre? Um, and... Uh, I'm sure you're aware that the, the Bible is made up of 66 books written by about 40 authors, and, and each book in the Bible has been written in a particular genre. Some of the books um, actually have multiple genres in one book, but they have a main genre. And so we've, we've looked at this in the past when we did our evening studies on how to study the Bible for yourself. We have genres like historical narrative. Uh, so the book of 1 Samuel that I preached through last year, that's, or in 2020, that's historical narrative. It's the storyline of history. Then there's law, there's poetry, there's wisdom, there's gospels, there's parables, there's prophecy, there's letters. And then there's something known as apocalyptic. Um, and we've, we've considered this, and, and there are different rules that we apply to different genres. We do that every day. You, you read a legal contract very differently to the way you read a birthday card from your wife. Uh, they're not the same genre. And, and so as we come to, to the book of Revelation, we need to say, well, what is the genre? And the genre is called apocalyptic. It comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, from which we get this genre apocalyptic. And obviously there are other genres in Revelation. We've done the, the seven letters. Those are letters written to churches, and we read them as letters. Um, and the book itself identifies itself as prophecy. But the overarching uh, genre of revelation is apocalyptic. Tom Schreiner uh, gives the following description. He says, Apocalypse is a supernatural unveiling of what is about to take place. It's a divine disclosure is given, usually by angels to some prominent person, in which God promises to intervene in human history, destroy evil, and bring his kingdom. Apocalypses are given to encourage and strengthen those who are suffering to persevere and to continue in the faith. And so that's the genre. We need to keep that in mind. And there are some specific characteristics to this genre which are not in the other genres in Scripture. Particularly, and I'm just going to bring up a list. We won't go through this in detail, but dualism, a battle between good and evil, that's part of this genre. Visions. Revelation, supernatural realities being revealed. Symbolism, lampstands, stars, dragons, beasts, bowls, swords, eyes, horns, incense, scrolls. We're going to come across all of these and more. It's characteristic of this genre. Numerology, the importance of numbers and their significance is crucial in understanding apocalyptic genre. Angelology, many, many angels 
play a role in the book uh, of Revelation, more so than any other book in Scripture. Demonology, agents of evil, destroyers, servants of Satan. And then this concept of predicted woes. Now this ties up with a lot of the prophetic books, um, but diseases, plagues, darkness, flood, earthquakes, etc. This is all characteristic um, to this genre of apocalypse. But I'm convinced that as we study the book together, um, one of the problems I have with the historicist and the futurist views is they want to read Revelation literally. They want to read Revelation almost like historical narrative, except just future history, and to interpret all the symbols and the numbers in a very literal way. And I'm convinced that Revelation itself does not allow us to do that because the key to interpreting the symbols that we're gonna come across is actually given to us by Jesus himself in the first chapter. Just look with me at verse 12 of chapter one. We looked at chapter one last year. Let me remind you, John's been given this vision, and he says in verse 12 of chapter one, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of this, the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed, I just noted, he said, one like a son of man, and then he describes the clothing. A long robe, a golden sash around his chest, the hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow, his eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a, a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Did you notice how many times John said that what he saw was like something? In other words, the vision describes in, in bold pictures and symbols and words that we can understand, but he is certainly not saying that the things he saw were actually literal. How do we know that? Because look at where it goes on. Jesus himself then explains to John that what he is seeing is not literal, but symbolic. Look at verse 19. Write, therefore, the things that you've seen. You're going to see the visions, John. You're going to see the symbols and the signs. Write them down, those that are and those that are to take place. As for the mystery, so already Jesus acknowledges that the picture is mysterious. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, now there already he's identified that the, what John saw being like a son of man is Jesus. You saw me, you saw stuff in my right hand, the seven golden lampstands and the seven stars. Sorry, he says the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands that you saw around me are the seven churches. So Jesus here takes the vision, tells John to write it down to describe the symbols that he saw, stars and lampstands, but then he tells John that each symbol represents a different reality. The stars, he says, are the angels, the lampstands are the churches. Then as we move to chapter four and chapter five, we're gonna see an elder in the throne room of heaven announcing the arrival of Jesus as the Lion of Judah. And, and when John looks, he does not see a man. He does not see a lion. He sees a lamb which had been slain. And we are told that the lamb that he saw had seven horns and seven eyes. Did it really? No. 
John tells us that the seven eyes are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And so as we work our way through Revelation, we are constantly going to come up against the temptation to want to try and interpret these symbols as literal. And when we do that, we not only miss the reality to which Jesus intended the symbol to point, but we can quite easily get ourselves into all kinds of beliefs that end up in what at best is dangerous, at worst is heretical. And so as we work our way through Revelation, we are going to make specific effort to interpret each symbol in Revelation according to the fact that this book was written into a historical context and is deeply rooted in the Old Testament of Scripture. Remember that there is one author to all of Scripture, the Holy Spirit, and he gave this revelation to John to write down, not to leave its interpretation up to our own imagination, but for us to understand through our understanding of the Old Testament and the shadows and the types that those symbols point to, the realities that he is wanting us to understand. And so we're almost done. And to end off, let me just give you one more picture um, to hopefully just give you a breath of fresh air. And so I'm going to end off with this picture um, this morning to try and explain what I've been saying about genre. Um, what we have on the left uh, is a very striking painting of a man called David. And on the right, a high-quality photograph of the same man. And by using these pictures, I'm not endorsing the man or his music or his lifestyle. Now, my question to you is this. Are the two pictures the same? Well, as far as the reality which they portray is concerned, they both represent a real man called David. But I'm sure that none of us would argue that those two pictures are the same. The painting, is, it's bold, it's, it's striking, it, it grabs your attention, it, it draws you in, and yet as you get closer, you start to zoom in on the details of the painting, you see things up close that seem confusing or chaotic or even messy. But if you look at the photo on the right, it's, it's actually quite boring. What catches your attention is the fact that he has one day old stubble. Now, think genre here. You can think of the photo on the right as the genre of law or historical narrative. The photo is intended to convey facts, rules, regulations, dates, places, events as accurately as possible. It's, it's meant to be read literally. David has brown hair. His jacket is black. He did not shave today. But when we think of apocalyptic literature, we have the painting on the left. It's bold, it's bright, it's striking, and the big picture is abundantly clear, but we are not meant to zoom into the red dot below his ear and ask what that means. We are certainly not meant to look at the darkish patch on his top lip and predict when he last took a shave. It's a painting that's meant to convey a gripping image of a person. We are meant to stand back. We're meant to admire the painting, to, to drink in the big picture, and to marvel at the artist who was able to present such an incredible perspective of reality. Well, that, I would argue, is the book of Revelation. It's a bold, striking, awe-inspiring, sometimes scary, but always hopeful painting of King Jesus. So let me get David off there for now. Um, it's a painting of Jesus. 
It's a painting of the Lamb who sits on the throne. It's a painting of the one who rules over all of history, who's actively at work to judge the wicked, to conquer Satan and his beasts, and to bring about eternal victory for all of God's people. So as we close today, let's just read again the first few verses of the book. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Well, may God grow our excitement and anticipation uh, to study his word together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for our time together this morning, uh, not in your word in the traditional sense, but about your word as we prepare to move into the study of Revelation in the week ahead. We pray, Lord God, that as we read this book in our own devotional life, there are seven days in the week, we can take each one of those seven visions and read it through in preparation for our time. Lord, may you stir our hearts. May you give us a great anticipation as we study this book together to behold wonderful things in your word, wonderful things that will give us the perspective on this life and on eternity that you intended for us to have as we study this book together. So we pray for your blessing upon it. We pray for your help in my own study and preparation of the word. We pray that you'd be preparing our hearts to receive your word gladly. And yet still as the Bereans to go home and search the scriptures to see if these things are so. We pray this all in Jesus' name that we might be a people here on earth who bring glory and honor to your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.